0: welcome back I'm Rick Outson. here with Cena Madison thank you for letting us be a part of your day we had hower Merrill on uh, opened up the show to talk about what happened behind the scenes to get that agreement lease agreement with American Magic. Uh, it, it, it if you just listen to part of it you got to it just there are a lot of hoops that had to a lot of things had to happen and happened in just the right way to be able to pull it off and it really took three mayors a governor triumph Uh, City and county staff uh, all working together and, of course, uh, the American Magic team uh, willing to to put, you know, to work with us on it. So it's a a really big deal. I don't think we can undersell it. We'll have Mayor D.C. Reeves Reeves on a little bit later in this half hour to talk about it uh, so you'll get a chance to talk about him, what's going on. But what we've got now that we're excited about, it'll be a regular feature that we'll do every Tuesday. we got Mike Dubusky on, our tech reporter. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing well. What's the future of mobile devices out there? What are we hearing? The Mobile World Congress, yeah. But uh, yeah, Mobile World Congress,
1: you're right, is is going on in Barcelona this week. This is kind of the CES of the global tech market. So we have the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, Barcelona has the Mobile World Congress, or MWC. This is for any portable device, really. And, uh, you know, that means smartphones or wearable technology or laptops. And laptops are kind of getting a lot of attention this year at MWC with a big announcement from Lenovo. They're unveiling what they're calling Project Crystal. This is a transparent laptop. You can see right through the screen, and you can kind of see through the keyboard as well, And it's a 17.3-inch device, and so it's kind of big. And, you know, I know what you're probably wondering at this point, which is why. Why would you want a transparent screen like this? Well, Lenovo doesn't really say. This is a concept device. They don't plan on selling it. At this point, they're just kind of doing it to prove that the technology is viable and that it's possible. Um, But they are also trying to see what people do with it. They're judging the public's reaction to this transparent screen concept. There's this sort of idea floating around MWC this year that you could maybe put something behind the transparent screen and then have digital content overlaid on top of it. But that particular demo didn't work at this year's MWC. So, uh, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see exactly what people do with it. Again, uh, Lenovo doesn't plan on selling this just yet, or at least not in the form that we're seeing it. But they're kind of just putting it out there as like a proof of concept.
2: One of the things that I was excited about, I think it's really interesting, is the Samsung Ring. I'm one of those people that can't
3: sleep in the watch, so I thought that might be a game changer there.
1: And that is exactly how Samsung is positioning this. You're right that, you know, sleep tracking is kind of difficult with a watch. A lot of people find that uncomfortable, um, but it is also one of the things, the devices that gets closest to your body, monitoring your heart rate and whether you're awake or asleep and that sort of thing. Well, Samsung thinks that a ring could do the same sort of functionality without being as uncomfortable. So we first got our look at this galaxy ring they're calling it uh, last month at the galaxy unpacked event that's samsung's own standalone event um but now we're getting a little bit more information about this thing it is a ring it's a simple band like you would see a, you know in an engagement ring or what have you It comes in a couple different colors but it has a whole bunch of sensors uh, packed into this sort of small ring form factor there's no screen or anything but the idea is that you wear it And it will send all kinds of health information back to your phone. So that does mean sleep tracking, but also period and fertility tracking for women. And what Samsung is calling a vitality score, which is where they gather together a bunch of different health metrics, including, you know, your sleep, uh, your exercise and activity, and your heart rate. And they give you a score that apparently, you know, gives you some insight into your vitality Um, And it is not alone in this market. Samsung uh, is competing here with a company called Aura. They have the Aura Ring, which largely does the same thing. So this new uh, kind of uh, growing market of rings uh, in the tech world is seemingly getting some attention, and particularly at Mobile World Congress.
2: And one thing I wanted you to touch on real quickly was the Vision Pro
1: yeah that's right so i got a chance to finally wear apple's 3500 dollars headset this is something that anybody can do if you live near an apple store you can schedule a half hour demonstration and uh, the first 10 minutes of this are dedicated to sort of sizing this to your head right it's a piece of wearable technology everybody's bodies are different so you know i have i wear reading glasses so they had to make sure the lenses worked with my eyes but once they sort all that out, you are kind of, you know, in it for virtual reality. In, in, in about 20 minutes, they, they take you through how to click. That is, uh, you know, tapping your index finger with your thumb. Uh, your eyes are the cursor. So whatever you look at is what you're selecting on uh, sort of the, the screen in front of you. And it's similar in some ways to working on a MacBook, right? The the screens, the programs look the same. They're just in virtual space around you. I put the Photos app, for example, on the bench next to me, and I put oh. the Safari <laughs> app, you know, kind of in front of the person who was giving me the demonstration. Um, and then, of course, you can also phase out the world around you, which I thought was interesting, That where, you know, the, the world around you, the, the Apple store I was sitting in, you know, just sort of fades out and becomes an environment. I, I was sitting by a very ni- nice lake in the Pacific Northwest, for example, Um, and and that is how they say you can immerse yourself. But, again, there's some pretty big hurdles with this device, $3,500, and it was pretty heavy. I I still felt the weight of it even as I was walking out of the store. So, you know, not a home run, but uh, doubtless a a pretty impressive piece of technology.
0: Oh, it sounds so cool. Uh, Well, Mike, thank you for coming on this morning. Of course, guys. Take care. All right, take care.
3: I just don't know why you'd want one. Although, if you're somebody that had panic attacks and you needed to go to your happy place really fast. (laughs) Right. That would work, that would work. It was just with Ryan doing it. It was you know you could do all this stuff with it he ended up watching the movie cars like
0: three times. So. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, all right, let's go ahead and break. We've got the mayor coming right back we'll get We'll get through these commercials. I promise.
1: Okay.
0: We are Pensacola's first radio station. started in City hall in 1926. We are that wonderful city of advantages, WCOA. I'm Rick outson. Cena Madison is here. Thank you, Cena.: uh, Yesterday was a big day. I-, I tell you what, if you do not realize how big Warehouse 10 is, until you walk inside of it and see it is huge. Uh, and you can just start visualizing what it would look like as the headquarters for American Magic by just standing there for a few minutes. Uh it was a big signing day and we've got Mayor D C Reeves on. Great day for the city, wasn't it, D C.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me and uh I agree with you. You may be um you know, we we look at that uh warehouse ten on a piece of paper, eight and a half by eleven right. a lot and um uh, uh, you know, and a lot of drawings, and you don't, and you know, you talk about it uh, so often. And now you, uh, now going in there again. We've obviously been in there a few times, but yeah, you, know, you you always forget until you're back in there just how huge a facility this is going to be.
0: Yeah, when you look at it, driving by it, you know, you drive down uh, Bayfront Parkway and look over there, you see it, but you don't realize how big it is. And then you can imagine standing there in the building, and it doesn't have a roof right now. And and you look out, you can see where the dock is going to be where, where you know, where they're going to be building uh, their boats and where they're going to put them in the water. You can kind of visualize all that. Uh, it it yeah, really I, is neat.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And and when I say that about, like, this, I mean it figuratively and, and a little bit literally what I said yesterday about this being kind of a compass for, for what's to come because, you know, I, I tell people all, all the time when they say, well, where's American Magic going? Maybe they haven't followed it. They you know, I tell them it's like, hey, it's that big warehouse you see when you're going over to, coming over to Pensacola from the Three Mile Bridge. I mean, it's it's going to be uh, noticeable clearly, right. uh, not only in our city but but as people uh, enter our city um, from from the east. So, uh, you know, it, it really could stand as that you know symbol of, uh, of some growth uh, that, that we're really really excited about. And again, uh, these you know growth is one thing. Uh, unique transformational growth like this, of the, the potential that American Magic has, is
0: another. Well, it 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 does two things. It it for and we talked a little bit about it yesterday. Is this is another project that was handed off from mayor to mayor to mayor to make happen. It starts with Ashton, then Grover, and then you. And each mayor took it to to as far as you could, and, and you've you've landed it. But there was a lot of work before that. But this is also the second industry that we're adding to our economy that weren't here wasn't here before BP. ST is the other one, and and these this, the similarity on those two levels is huge.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and and also you know, I think if you went and looked at other cities and you looked at uh you know the initiatives of mayor uh, you know three mayors in a row, it, it doesn't always work that way. Uh, priorities could be different. Um, and, and look, and in some smaller levels, it probably did happen, you know, for right. one or another, you know, something maybe Mayor Hayward uh, prioritized higher than Grover or I prior prioritize higher or lower than Grover. Uh, you know, there's going to be those small things, but, uh, but we're fortunate that I think all three of us, you know, in our different ways have also seen uh, the, the, opportunity uh, with right. these major projects like this that it's not just because uh, it is you know st of the three of us i i had the least to do with um you know really ashton got that started and and grover you know kept it going probably had right you know we got hanger two now as we move forward that 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 uh, ratio will change but right. uh, so far you know that's really been those guys but uh but you know we're not I also see opportunity and understand it when I see it, and, and and that means just because it wasn't my idea or it wasn't I wasn't the uh, the author of that the architect of that, uh, we're, we, it's still my duty and my job to make sure that we uh, lift that up and make it uh, as valuable as possible to our community. So, um, so yeah, I think we should be proud of that as a city. Uh, you know that we that we're able to see these big opportunities and continue to seize them as we go through different administrations and uh, different department directors and leadership.
0: Right and, and you know to add two new industries to our local economy here uh is uh, i think not many cities can can say that of our size uh or m s a our size can say that they've done that uh like we have in the last you know in the last decade and so it's it's huge the uh but what you know we look at what else is going on so that that you've got the letter of intent out for the Pensacola motor Lodge uh what are your hopes there?
4: Yeah, so we've got Letters of the Ten out for uh, the old Pensacola Sports Building uh, right. a couple weeks ago. We were, had that open for about 30 days. And then, yeah, Mo- uh, Motor Lodge went out uh, on Friday. So, um, you know, I'll, I'm really excited to see. You know, I remind everybody this is a new process for us, an unprecedented process for us to, uh, to not put – to not make our RFPs or RFQs too rigid in what we think we exactly want, and let, let's help the market. And let's help the experts in the market kind of influence the direction we may go uh, based on what the maximum value is. Um, you know, I, look, I, a market rate development, uh, affordable development, maritime park, doesn't matter what it is. I say, I tell developers when they visit with us uh, the same thing. I say, listen, uh, you know, the, the largest revenue stream we have in our city is property tax. That's the largest contributor to the general fund. But I'm going to do the same math you do. You know, so you're going to work your math, and you're, you've got to make a project pencil, and people think that's a lot easier than it actually is. Uh, but on the flip side, I've got to be able to defend that this is a good investment for the city. Um, and um, so, you know, I, I get out the same calculator you do, and we're going to do the same math you do. So, um, you know, that, that it's just having that understanding going into it um, that, uh, you know, we, we know that projects need to pencil. I don't care if it's Motor Lodge, if it's physical sports or something else. Uh, or, or we'll never have anything. But then on the flip side, you know, Dan, it's got to be protecting the taxpayer and making sure that the city and its citizens are getting its return on investment. So in the case of motor lodge, though, Rick, I mean, obviously that that that's going to be less of an ROI thing. It's really more of what level of subsidy is it going to take uh, for us to get those units online? Uh, because we know we we talk a lot about low barrier. I talk a lot about low barrier shelter, but but a low barrier shelter will not be successful uh without some kind of place to move those people. Right. And I know that that's what the county's working on um you know maybe for, you know buying a, a hotel and looking at some of those other opportunities for for transitional housing. So in a perfect world, I would love for that to be uh the outcome, but again, we're going to let a lot of people who have done this before you know, be able to look at this project and say, "Hey, we're going to need to demo these," or, or yeah, sure, they could be used at this, but this is what the subsidy would be. Um, you know, so that's what I mean by letting the market dictate. You know, we're, I think after 10, 15, 20 uh, applications or letters of interest, if we were able, fortunate enough to get that many, we're going to get a real flavor of of really what this deal is going to look like. Even you know, even if we don't pick one particular one at that point. Well, and
0: and and you've said this before, and I think every time I talk to realtors and, and builders, is we need more to get our get a housing more affordable. We need more product. We need more right. uh, out there at, at a, a lot of different price points. And even though that some of these projects are coming in at pretty high price points, some of the new apartments and and, and condominiums are being built. Uh, that should open up uh, other housing that will be it more affordable. I mean, that's the, the, the dream.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And look, if I had one wish of information that, that if I could just magically convey to 55,000 people, one piece of information in this, in this city right now, it's, it's a two or three minute education on just that fact that because there's such a us versus them mentality about housing, which is unfortunate because, if we snapped our fingers and had 500 market rate units, like you heard me talk about before, all that does is open up a bit additional opportunity for affordability for someone else. Uh, and, and so, it but we somehow fall into this trap of you're either doing one or the other. If, if, if you see if it goes across ARB or city council that a market rate building's coming up, you can rest assured that everyone, you know, on social media or Facebook comments will say, well, you don't care about people who don't make. You know, less money, and and it's that term I use with you all the time. Rub, you know, pat our head, rub our belly. We can do these both. We and we have to. I mean, there. If if we just, I mean, imagine what a poor, irresponsible decision it would be if we said we are putting a uh, ban on market rate housing at this point until we build more affordable housing. I mean, that would be such a poor strategic decision for the city um and so there's all there's a big disconnect with folks that don't follow that as closely that I wish I could convey and it's just it's hard to convey you know it's, it takes a little bit of a explanation but um if people just every time we've ever explained that when I've been in a, a, a rotary club or a, you know when I've gotten a couple minutes to just to be able to explain that why we need both of these things people t- tend to understand it but i think folks who maybe not follow it as closely think i see people you know building $800,000 houses or two million dollar condos and then that must mean that you don't care about people who are, are in a more vulnerable state and it's just not the case, you know. So it's it's a tough thing and that I think we are moving. I think we're in a better place on that topic than we were five years ago. Uh but uh, you know, still there's a little bit of a delta between uh the reality and and, and that's why I think it's a perfect microcosm, Rick, of we've got Pittscoal sports going up, highest and best use. Give us Give us the most tax revenue that you can give us at that space, we're, and then we've got Motor Lodge, which we're not saying return on investment. We're saying how do we create opportunity for people uh, that are that are uh, that have lower incomes or are in a more vulnerable state with them or their family? Um, so that that's a it's a perfect microcosm of what I'm talking about. We're working on both of these things at the exact same time.
0: You know, the other project that that y'all are looking at is getting a grant to look at Cervantes Avenue again to see if there's a way. Uh, Something different than what than the fencing that we have in the media now. Tell us talk a little bit about that.
4: Yeah, so so we we went and asked for a letter of support from the council uh to go back and there's some additional RAISE, it's a acronym, uh but RAISE funding through USDOT. Um and uh, people may see the map and actually it came up in council as a good question of like, hey, it's kinda intermittent. It's not all of Cervantes going all the way up and around Scenic Highway, why not? Well, a lot of the funding is based around census tracts and, and um you know, again, making sure that there's it's supportive within uh lower income um, groups. So the uh so it it's a, some addition to that, I've gotten two questions around that. Number one, does it impact the fencing and all of that that happened? Uh at this point, no. Uh it wouldn't necessarily be that. Um and then the second question I've gotten about it is, does that mean that we're going to put fencing on from 17th Avenue to the bayou and all that? That's also no. <laughs> uh, what we're looking at is how do we get pedestrian and bicyclist improvements along Cervantes? So uh, we don't really know exactly how it looks yet. It's not designed. You know, it's n- none of that. But all that's come to council is, hey, we're going to apply for this grant. Our grant application is that much stronger if we show the U.S. DOT. That we have the council support, so uh, so we've got that letter from them. We'll we'll send it in and uh, and we'll see what happens. So um, so it is a little confusing because there's been that work done on Cervantes, and then people see this grant coming in. Uh, I don't. There's still a lot to work through uh, between right. what what would actually happen, but we want to get the money uh, to make sure that we can make
0: some of this. Well, and, and people need to remember, and and I was a big advocate early on that something needed to happen on Cervantes because we yeah. were having. Uh, a lot of bicyclists and pedestrians were getting hit some were killed we, we had you know we we saw that happen uh it it uh the um in in that neighborhood was was having a difficult time with it i know there's there've been people that have been upset because of the way the 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 the, the, the fencing has been done and yep. where the the because some properties you have to work a little bit harder to get into uh, but in the end you know we haven't seen the fatalities that we've seen before and we were seeing those on a regular basis uh, yep. for a while and it was our yep. most dangerous stretch of road
4: and and listen I, I think what people need to understand it's almost like the last topic i just opined about I, you know understand when we when we are asking for cars to be on a divided highway and moved at that rate of speed then this is this is what the end product is i mean so you have to understand this is the canvas that was handed down many decades ago when we made Cervantes Street a raceway, right? right? At right. whatever point that was decided and probably pre-interstate uh, or or as it continued to grow. And look at what Fort Walton's doing. Fort Walton's literally moving, which I think is a great idea. They're moving now that so they can have a real downtown. They're actually sending the, the highway around the downtown so they can start to have some sense of place. And so, you know, I agree with you. I, I can see how it's frustrating for some people, the fencing and all of that. Uh, but I don't usually jump in on the, the heavy criticism parade there only because, uh, you know, it, it's the cards that were dealt. I, right. I, you know, there's a lot of things that you can't do. You can't just put uh, bridges over that. You can't put tunnels under it. You there's a lot of things that you just can't do. Um, and so it's just an unfortunate situation. And I think it, but it does illustrate, you know, the need for uh, being mindful about how you design new roads and how we move people around our city. And that's what we're trying to do with some of those Sun Trail things and uh, some of those
0: other things. All right. Well, Mayor, I appreciate it. I'll see you in two hours at the press conference. I'll have a whole new set of questions for you. <laughs> Perfect. All right, we're ready for you. All right, All right. Take care. We'll go ahead and break for national news. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Rick Altson. We are Real News. We've got Cena Madison running the board, helping me through this process. Last uh, week, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that couples who were trying in vitro fertilization and lost frozen embryos in an accident at a mobile storage facility could sue under the state's wrongful death law. Since then, three providers that provide these often-used fertility uh, fertility treatments have, have suspended doing anything, trying to figure out what the legal implications are There's a bill going through the Florida legislature involving uh, fetal personhood that right now, as of last night, is stalled in the Senate. It was passed by the House. Uh, It doesn't, you know, but we don't know where that's going to go. But what I wanted to do is talk to two women that are at the forefront and helping with fertility issues with women and that know the impact that this ruling in Alabama is having here. Uh, we've got BB Leggett, Bryant Leggett. I'm sorry. I knew BB is BB. B. My uh, nickname, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Aaron Attaway here. They are with the Fertility Resort. I'm going to have trouble pronouncing this mm-hmm. all the way through. Uh, the Fertility Resort, they're the co founders of it. Welcome. And y'all do a podcast, too. We do. Protected we do. Space, which do. is good. Good job. <laughs> all right. That's it. I, right, You know, talk about the impact. You were just mentioning Aaron just a little bit. Uh, about that Mobile in Alabama is important to, along the Gulf Coast for, for these Absolutely. type of treatments.
2: Yeah, you know, you have to remember that there are few and far between clinics, and a lot of people, like we're used to on the Gulf, they're, Gulf Coast, they're commuting. They're driving to see a provider, and Mobile is actually a very large provider, and they have satellite offices in various locations. So, what's happening in Alabama is affecting people from lots of other states who might be traveling to Mobile or Birmingham or Huntsville for treatment from external areas. So, what happens in Alabama doesn't stay in Alabama?
0: Right. you know I, I, I was mentioned when my daughter lives in Birmingham, and she had an employee that was going for all the prep work mm-hmm. that goes into this, and that the the hospital that she works at suspended it because mm-hmm. they're worried about how they're going to be treated. Uh, with this, you know, if with this law, the uh, just a little bit, Aaron, because BB said you're the best one to explain. It, just a <laughs> little bit, a little bit about the IVF, just to, uh, how that works.
2: Well, Okay, let's just say that anybody who's having a hard time conceiving naturally, or they can't for some reason conceive at home the old-fashioned way, they can go to an IVF clinic, and those doctors are going to take eggs from a female and sperm from a male. They're going to put it together and generate embryos. And the necessity of freezing those embryos is just – that's just part of it. There's no way to store them or to to keep them alive unless you put them on this cryopreservation. So to say that they are people now and they can't be cryopreserved or all the other implications that we're discussing really essentially destroys the process. Um, It makes it so that you would only be able to use what's viable in the moment – and the time and expense and the the whole system of how IVF works would really make it unattainable for most people.
0: And and when this when the when this is done, it's more than one egg. It's more than it. it you have to right. It takes a lot. Right. It it's
2: it, they're trying to maximize it right. because it takes so much time and medication and money and strategy. The the idea is. If you can get multiple embryos out of one service, one procedure, then you can store them for future use. And that's usually the goal.
5: Well, and I can chime in on that just from personal experience, too. I, myself, did IVF in Alabama, and I'm a Florida resident, so this hits home for me, obviously. And for me, personally, I went through three rounds of IVF, and we made 15 total embryos, and I've had zero live births from those embryos. So if that kind of puts in perspective, like... Embryos do not equal baby. They just don't. Like, we have tried and tried and tried. And so from a personal perspective, it just upsets me when I hear people talking about what, who are not knowledgeable of what the actual mechanical factors are that go into IVF and what the actual live birth rate is and how many embryos it takes to create life. It's just not – it doesn't equate, Right.
0: Right, and I think that's there's There is some movement in Alabama to re, to realize that the embryo doesn't isn't isn't viable as a as a baby, or you know, until it's implanted in the, in and takes root in the womb. Right, and and, and right. that's a big difference in here. There's a big being difference confused. between
2: a potential person right. and an actual person that has rights. And again, like IVF clinics, they're not nurseries. <laughs> right. They're not that. They're, it's unfair to try to put those kinds of regulations on them when they're doing their absolute best to help bring babies into the world. Right. So to to for the providers that do this and the clinicians to be suffering the way that they are now with
5: concerns, uh, it's a kind of absurd.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about y'all's fertility resort.
5: Yeah. Okay, so we are actually a nonprofit, 501c3, and we are a group of people, really just Erin and I, but we are a community that is for patients to help find all the missing pieces that that they need in their IVF journey is what it is. So we're an online platform that connects patients and the providers who want to get you to your family goals.
0: You know, and, and BB you've been very public about your struggles. Yes. You know, and and the uh uh and I know the the struggles that you went in and this really kind of sprung out of that, you know, yes. understanding that the it, feelings that you had to go through.
5: Yeah, so I think that one of the things that people don't really talk about when it comes to IVF IVF infertility is you just don't know what you don't know until you're in it. And then when you're thrown in it, it's a lot. So from uh, tools and resources to like help you actually optimize your journey, whether that's being fertility coaching, nutrition coaching, all of those types of things, like how to adjust your lifestyle to make your fertility journey as impactful as possible, but also mental health. So part of the fertility resort in our community, we have our licensed mental health providers who have been through infertility journeys themselves, who help guide our members to having a holistic, healthy, and happy journey, which is really hard to attain.
2: Yeah, we've tried to come at it from both provider and patient perspective and meet halfway. Like, what do providers wish their patients knew that they don't really have the resources to share with them? How could we put those two groups together in an effective way so that patients get reliable information that's provider-backed and not just going on Dr. Google and trying to figure it all out for themselves and making lots of poor choices because it doesn't pertain to them?
0: Right, and, and each instance is is unique. Mm-hmm. Each mother, each each woman's is different. With Alabama being taken off the table right now, where are people going?
2: It's interesting that people have come out all across the states and said, "We'll ship your embryos for free if you want to come here." So they're going a lot of places. You know, some people might come back to Florida, Jacksonville, Atlanta. Uh, we have some, we know some people that are going through Dallas right now. Mm-hmm. So people are just looking for, but they have to travel. So a lot of times people are just trying to find resources where they might have family or somewhere where they could go and stay, because you might have to stay for two weeks at a time, which adds a tremendous amount of expense. But right. if you have an aunt or a cousin or a sister in wherever USA, you might go there just because of that.
0: Yeah, you know, and what happened in Mobile was it was unfortunate. It was an accident. Embryos Got, you know, were not properly stored or handled, properly handled, and and you, you, I think a lot of us could understand the frustration that that those parents felt about it, mm-hmm. and 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 that, uh, you know, th- that component. But this this ruling has uh, opened up a new layer into into women's uh, reproductive rights, and I know y'all are doing a virtual town hall this week.
2: We are. We are. So we talk are. about that. Well, on Thursday evening, we yes. are going to host a virtual town hall. Anybody can come, and it'll just be, you know, on the on the Zoom. So people can come in from anywhere and listen. Uh, tomorrow is an action day in Montgomery, so I will be there to hear what's going on tomorrow, and I'll be able to report that at the town hall. And then American Society of Reproductive Medicine is also hosting uh, a talk on Thursday, so we'll tune into that and then turn around and be able to share that information with people that aren't a part of that organization. So we're just trying to keep our finger on what's really happening because there's a lot of chitter-chatter out there. So we want to know what's real, what's really happening, what people can really do to see them move the needle forward, and we're just going to try to share it.
0: So what's what's the the action item that's happening in Montgomery?
2: You know, I'm not exactly sure. There's a (laughs) whole agenda. It's 930 to 1 o'clock, and they are essentially dividing us up into advocacy groups and sending us in different directions to try to talk to legislators and policymakers and lobbyists and whoever's available about what is happening so that if legislation comes to table, we can actually have an informed audience to help make those decisions. Because I think the Alabama lawmakers have been, unfortunately, made themselves very clear that they don't know what they're talking about when it comes to a lot of this.
0: Right. Uh, That is frightening, too. Yeah. (laughs) It it really is. (laughs) All right. Now, the website is thefertilityresort.com. You can check them out. They have got a blog. They've got – if someone wanted to come to you all, what are the steps they go through?
5: Oh, they could just check us out, obviously, at thefertilityresort.com. They could also follow us on social media at thefertilityresort, or they could check out our podcast, which is called Protected Space, and you can find us there on everywhere where you get a podcast.
0: Okay. Guys, thank you all so much for coming in this Thank morning. you. We appreciate it. Good luck. Uh, this is, uh, we'll create a podcast of this yeah. that we'll share with you all. Awesome. <laughs> we'll be glad to do it. But thank you all for coming mm-hmm. in. We'll go ahead and break. We'll give you news, weather, and traffic. We'll be right back. Good morning. Thank you for listening. We're Real News with Rick Altson. There's a new event center coming downtown Pensacola. It's going to open next week. We've got Mike DeSorbo to tell us about it. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. How you doing? I am doing great. Uh, you're ready. I know you all have been working on it. It looks great from the outside, but but tell our listeners about it.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Um, yes, we are super excited uh, to finally get things up and running with our new space. Uh, yeah, we're right in the middle of downtown there, uh, right kind of. No behind the Civic center in there at all on Wright and Tarragona Street. Just uh, stones throw away from the handlebar if you're way back from
0: <laughs> Right. Uh,
3: so we love that. Um, and, yeah, you know, brand-new facility. We're just kind of an all-indoor space. We want to be all-inclusive to our clients and kind of uh, – a. For lack of better words, like a one stop shop. So we can have the event there, we can cater the event, you know, provide all the other services for the event bar and linens and tables and stuff like that. So trying to make it, you know, just kind of conducive to being able just to have again, just that kind of stop there and get everything taken care of. And uh, we have space for about, you know, 200 plus guests inside um, that we can do. Uh, got a little bit of outside space we can utilize as well, so we're just super excited again, just to kind of get things going.
0: Well, it's at 201 East Wright Street, Tarragona and Wright, right there. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 really there's a need for that. There have you know we don't really have a space for that can accommodate 200 people in, in the downtown proper area. Uh, we've lost all those.
3: Yes, sir. We we feel hear that so much as we've kind of you know gotten up and running. That is probably a common denominator. It's like, man, this is so needed in our area, which is encouraging on our end for sure. Uh, but the uh, same thing, we thought the same thing. You know, as you know, we've been around you know since 2004 with a catering, and just thought you know have wanted to do this for a number of years now, and especially over the past few years, it has. It's just become harder and harder for you know anybody to kind of find a, a larger space uh in the downtown area especially i right. seems to be a, obviously a hotbed for things and uh so um we've got you know in addition to that being downtown got great parking a lot of it is not paid in our area so we're excited about that uh easy to kind of get in and get out uh type of thing we're right there by the interstate as well so it just kind of all came together and works, you know. Just kind of, you know, in sequence with everything, you know. We couldn't, again, have have asked for a better spot.
0: Re- really. I know you you spent some time when you were first announced that you were going to do this. We had you on the radio and you were talking about trying to find a space, and it took a while mm-hmm. to locate this. Uh, the I guess the other thing is is if someone wanted, are you taking bookings now? Are you
3: we are we're up and running full force we're taking bookings uh you know you can either give us a shout at our office um 850-469-0445 um you can always email us culinary productions inc at gmail um and you know we can get you know tours set up you know look up dates anything like that but yeah we're in the middle of booking and obviously right now you know we're you know Calling for you know summer on so we're kind of really kind of starting to get into a groove with that so it's it's picking up some steam a little bit
0: yeah it's perfect for a lot of different events as well as you know wedding mm-hmm. receptions uh, you know with all the churches there there's a place that they could go where they could have a full meal uh, and have it catered mm-hmm. there not and so I think you know that having the caterer in the building already is a big plus I think in these kind of op- these kind of events. You
3: couldn't be more correct. I think so too. We're already kinda of hearing that feedback with everybody, you know, that we talk to. It's like you know, they're just <clears throat> very you know, like the idea of that. You know, they come tour, they see the space and then they can also just kind of roll into taking care of any catering needs they might have or going through menus, stuff like that. So it definitely I think is is an added plus on our end to really be able to offer both sides if you will. Um, and yes, whether it's a wedding, which you do a ton of, but mm. lots of, you know, corporate events and family reunions right. and birthdays and stuff of this nature that, you know, we also do a, a, our fair share of.
0: That's great. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations. Uh, the uh, And we'll hopefully get some business going your way.
3: Yes, sir. I, I appreciate you again having me on. That uh, can can't thank you enough on that end, for sure. All
0: right. Take care, Mike.
3: You too. Take care. Right, Bye-bye.
0: Right. That's Culinary Productions. You can check them out. Google them on the Google machine. On the blog this morning, I opened up the, the the civil case, civil trial between County Clerk Pam Childers and the County Commission is going on now. Yesterday was the first hearing. Uh, I went to American Magic signing News Journal reporter. They had a reporter at that hearing. They've got a story on just a couple things I want to point out in reading the story. And, and is one is, you know, the title is Lucrative Deal is, is, is what is being questioned in this trial. But they seem to gloss over the fact that whether they use the 401A or the Florida retirement system, the taxpayers paid the same amount of money. And somehow the news journal continues to want to overlook that fact They're upset because 401 has a better rate of return than the Florida retirement system has, but the taxpayers would contribute the same no matter which plan it was, and I think that is a point that needs to be pointed out over and over again. Also, I'll put a little bit of explaining for everybody to understand. Janice Gilley did not get fired over 401A. She had trouble producing a budget. All right, I think we've done enough damage today. We'll have the replay of some of our earlier interviews, and I'll be back tomorrow. We'll have Chip Simmons on tomorrow. So please, stay with us. Have a great day. And remember, we do not, we don't color on the dog.